You are now listening to The Big Trade with Peter Pham, enlightening conversations for maximum market returns. Poe, welcome to The Big Trade series. Love for you to introduce yourself to the audience, and I'd love to talk to you about some of the interesting things that you're working on currently. Hi, it's uh, wonderful to be here. Thank you very much. I'm Po Shen Lo. I'm an American mathematician. I'm a math professor at Carnegie Mellon University, the founder of an education technology startup called XP, which is creating a virtual tutor for every smartphone. And I'm also the national coach of the United States Math Olympiad team. So, Poe, I had the opportunity to take a look at some of the things that you're working on, which I find very fascinating. I think it's related to a lot of the things that I go through. I think my approach of learning is what you would consider like a constructivist approach. And I think that you're working on some really interesting things in terms of like an inquiry-based learning system. Perhaps you could share to the audience a little bit about that and kind of like the rationale and logic behind um, this kind of approach towards education. You bet. So I'm most motivated by the fact that education should and could be the great equalizer. Because in theory, once one has access to the skills, one has access to unlimited opportunity. But the issue today is that, in fact, education is very unequal. In, in fact, the best education you can get is something which is like a tutor, which customizes to you. I mean, that's actually why tutors are expensive. Well, because of the fact that there's a differential in cost, there's then a differential in access. So what I was inspired to do is I was trying to figure out if there would be some way to give everyone on earth access to that adaptivity of a tutor. If one wants to do that, the only, the only possibility then is to try to use some sort of artificial intelligence or algorithms. But as you can see, this is where the whole thought comes from. The thought didn't come from I wonder what we should do to education uh, when one thinks about the existing education system. I was interested in trying to think of what is the best way that one can learn today and to try to see if there are ways to use algorithms to automate that. So you had mentioned this thing about inquiry-based. Well, to me, I just modeled that over how I coach students or how, how I would tutor someone if I was in a one-on-one -on -one situation. Uh, basically, one just deconstructs what a tutor does. A tutor tries to find out what the student is trying to do, what their objective is, the tutor first tries to find out what the student really wants to learn. And then after that, the tutor tries to probe to try to see what the student already knows. And as this inquiry goes on, one is able to give really an optimal path. This is what a human tutor does. And that was the inspiration behind trying to build the algorithms behind XP. I was thinking about the, the education system and basically like tests and exams, for example, is, is one of the backwards things towards education is they begin the true inquiry process through tests and examination to determine your skill set, ultimately giving you a grade or score based on your knowledge or comprehension of the subject that you're being taught, whereas that should actually kind of like work during the phases of learning to see what stage of education or background you have towards that subject and then ultimately branch out uh, to much more deeper levels through the whole purposes of learning prior to the actual test and examination. 
I completely agree with your statement. So I also personally feel that the testing system is, well, it's, it's very high stakes because you really only have a few opportunities to demonstrate your ability. And in fact, the whole focus is on demonstrating your ability at that testing phase. But if one thinks about how one gets better at, say, sport or athletics, one's always te- you're always testing yourself. You're always timing yourself. You're always trying to beat your previous record. In fact, measurement and testing is part of improvement in athletics. So, of course, there are also competitions in athletics. Those, those, are, and those are treated as fun as well. So now, my feeling is that it would be great if the same thing could happen in education. I feel like one reason why this may not have already been the case today is because it's difficult to give an adaptive test to hundreds of thousands of students that dynamically adapts as everybody is progressing through the test so as to even make it not just a test but a learning experience. That's why our approach was to use the fact that many people and more and more and more people have smartphones or access to smartphones. So at that point, we, by the way, it doesn't have to be the smartphone, it could be a computer too, but that insight that this source of computational adaptivity is often close to hand gives a new way to possibly blend together the worlds of testing and practice and learning into one unit. And that is exactly what we tried to build in XP. In regards to mathematics and traditional schooling, I always remember during grade school and high school particularly, you'll have the teacher provide a short lesson for the day and then say, for example, half of the, the day in terms of that class is to, I guess, practice and participate in exercises. How is that not inquiry-based learning? I feel like That is definitely one way to learn skills. Um, But I also think that humans are naturally curious and humans naturally seek challenge. And so there's there's a certain fun element in not already being told how you're supposed to achieve the challenge. So what I mean is what you've just described is something that is effective at delivering skills. But I think that's something which would more naturally allow every human being to explore their interests following their curiosity would be if they could almost pilot their own direction uh, as they went through questions, discovering that they already know this stuff. And therefore, they don't need to spend more time on it now. And instead, they'll jump deeper into something that's new or they'll discover that maybe they're not quite ready for that thing that is new and they'll go and build up their their base and what was before. So what I'm referring to is, I'm not looking at just inquiry-based, but also the notion that one should be able to adapt the pace based on one's experience. Do you believe that different people are akin to learning more effectively through different approaches? Obviously, through traditional academics, there are people that excel quite substantially, and they probably would say that there's no problem on their part in regards to that approach. And then maybe through, um, like, I'm more of an auditorily focused learner, so I I consume more content and information by, I guess, through dialogue and conversation and listening to radio, audio, podcasts, for example, to understand concepts and ideas, and I guess, like, ponder them as I'm hearing some of this stuff. I, I don't know if you take the different strong points of very different people's cognitive approaches towards learning uh, in account to the, the systems that you've developed. 
I think that everyone's approach to learning is unique, just like how everyone's interests are unique. Um, how, what I mean by this is that when one is supposedly learning, well, you're learning with as much intensity as you are putting forward to focus. And what I mean by this is that we have lots of things going on in our head all the time. And so, sometimes certain contexts, certain styles of explanation, certain backstories, even certain delivery methods appeal to us more. And as you, as many people have probably experienced, if you happen to be, say, in a classroom or in an environment where the person is, to you, particularly engaging, you will be riveted to the edge of your seat and you will get everything that they said. So now, the approach that we take is that on every concept, there should be as many different styles of explanation as the world can imagine. So what I'm referring to here is that we've broken apart all of the concepts of a subject, say like Algebra 1, into little bits so that each one is a little bitty concept. But then on each little concept, we allow there to be as many explanations as anyone wants to write. It's, uh, it's crowdsourcing. And not just write. They could be videos. They could have different styles. They could be just pictures. And the idea is that as we discover which concept a person should concentrate on, the algorithm then routes them to there. And then when they're there, they can choose which of those explanations or lessons or videos works the best for them. As this proceeds, then everyone should be able to find ways to learn that match with their thinking style not just matching with their adaptivity, but also matching with what captures their interests. So that's why XP's structure from the beginning was to encourage this diversity of thought. Could you provide further explanation towards the, the, the manner in which XP is kind of like structured and like, you know, I seen that you made, I actually went onto the site and I've actually went through some of the astronomy stuff and uh, thankfully if I've answered a lot of the questions correctly so <laughs> I was very pleased with that but um, could you describe how you came about designing like for example the user interface and why it would be the most effective for someone that's trying to go through the whole process and then I know that you mentioned elements of crowdsourcing and then I guess there's like a voting system as well. Um, you, you mix and merge a lot of what's very effective currently on the internet. Maybe you could describe a little bit about that. So just like in a maps application, when say if I'm navigating in New York City, it doesn't matter to me so much what's going on in Los Angeles. One can zoom in and get deeper in to the nodes that you care about. So for example, I went deeper into the math side and I, I zoomed into math, I zoomed in further into Algebra 1, which is our most fully fleshed out test area. That's where I'd encourage people to go if they mm. want to see how the system works. And then when you go into Algebra, you can even see that there are some sub areas like equations and inequalities, polynomials and factoring. Those might be like neighborhoods in New York or something like this. Mm -hmm. But what you can do then is you can eventually focus on the area that you would like to get better at. Suppose I had focused on equations and inequalities. And then there's a blue button that says enter Grandmaster. Grandmaster alludes to the algorithm. Mm. But uh, when you press that button, it starts to level you up on everything in that view. That's like you telling the Maps app that you would like to go towards this destination. Mm -hmm. So at that point, what it does is it starts to pitch you questions. And if you answer questions correctly, it pitches you harder questions or it pitches you questions from deeper down topics, more advanced topics. Mm -hmm. If you don't do that correctly, pulls them back. And at any point, it suggests to you, it says, you know, this question is related to this topic. Mm -hmm. So it inverts the learning 
as you said before, it used to be lecture followed by practice problem followed by exam. Basically what happens here is you first say what you want to learn. And then comes this uh, iterative practice bit, which is trying to sense where you are. And then only when you, f when you discover that you don't understand a concept, then that lesson comes. But at that point, you have as many lessons as the world has created on that one concept that you now need to learn. Mm. So then you can indicate to our system which of, those, which of that diversity of lessons you most prefer. We'll log that. And in future iterations of this algorithm, we'll even use that to give you every time personalized recommendations of which explanations you're most likely to like. Paul, in terms of some other subjects, I, I think math, you could argue that it might be very linear in terms of um, the approach of, of learning. I, I noticed for some subjects, for example, let's say uh, finance, uh, which is something that we specialize in, or, or chess, for example. I've heard people discuss about uh, when learning chess, perhaps one of the better ways is to learn from the end game as opposed to uh, learning about like opening moves and then going from there because ultimately you're able to understand what you ultimately want to get to. In, in finance, for example, we want to uh, reverse engineer all the principles towards a fantastic investment like ha investing in the company like Alphabet and making sure that you understand how it got all the way to the stages of becoming like a, you know, a several hundred billion dollar company, for example. In terms of the sequence of like nodes, for example, and in terms of like the questions that are asked, does, do we take any of this into account? You ask a very interesting question about how one sequences these topics. Yeah. So in this, in XP, we don't crowdsource everything. In particular, the ordering of the topics is set by the editorial team. And the crowdsourcing is only at the level of putting different explanations or different problems into the existing structure. Mm. At this point, the algorithm then is able to operate with anything that somebody could lay out in a structure of do this first and then do that thing and then do that thing. Mm -hmm. So given that uh, the examples that you said, such as if one is trying to learn finance, uh, one of the best things would be to unravel a wonderful investment. You could actually build a core structure where you start with that at the front. You see, our algorithm is completely agnostic to the way that the map is structured. And so it doesn't matter whether it's teaching math or whether it's teaching astronomy or whether it's teaching anything else. All that matters is that a curriculum can be sequenced in some way where a professional has said, this is the order in which it would be good to learn these topics. After that, what is important is that one can check whether or not certain questions were answered correctly or incorrectly. So what I mean is that we would have a hard time teaching, say, poetry or creative writing, because it's very difficult to assess whether or not right. an answer is right or wrong. So, for example, in chess, maybe we can't immediately say whether a move is obviously good or obviously bad, but if the purpose of the lesson was to test whether or not, say, it's possible to have mate in three, mm -hmm. I mean, that's definitely something which has either a right or wrong answer. Mm. So, in, in terms of finance, I think maybe, like, I, th I think we've grasped a lot of um, your product and service, and it sounds very compelling, and I wish you the best of um, success towards this venture. I guess on, a, on another note, based on all your experiences towards math, I think there's a lot of parallels between math and like rational thought and logic. 
uh, for our audience that is primarily like people that are interested in business and finance, what uh, kind of advice or suggestions, especially from the perspective of a mathematician, should one take towards thinking about business, finance, and even perhaps economics? Oh, so I should say I love those I love the, the subjects of business, finance, and economics. I, I actually spent two summers working at D.E. Shaw Hedge Fund, which is a hedge fund in New York City. Mm. And um, I, I also, I, I was playing with the stock market ever since I was a college student. Um, and and I, I think that, and I mean, now I run a business. Right. So I think that the mathematical thinking is really problem solving. So you see, I've, I've really tried to emphasize through this whole call that I think that the real value is in finding out how to solve hard problems, how to adapt to situations where you might not already be told how you're supposed to solve the problem, but you're supposed to figure out how to solve it yourself. Mm. I think that these are the real values that one can get from math. And in fact, sometimes that value is diluted by people thinking that math is about memorizing a sequence of formulas and just making sure you use the right one for each thing on the test. And you know for sure the test will only be about those formulas because that's how it's often run. I think that that misses the point. Um, math actually is about uh, it's about a structured way of thinking analytically and solving very complicated problems where you're able to make deductions that build on themselves. Because you see, math is something which if A implies B, then B, and if B implies C, well then A implies C. This is sort of like a business strategy. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, as I run XB, the, one of the reasons we have such a strange and maybe unique method of operating as a business is because of this uh, of, of the mathematical creativity of stringing together ideas and insights strategies that come out to something very different from what's actually already on the market and i think that if one is trying to say in business or in finance come up with something that's new a new method a new method a new innovation business innovation or technical innovation, any of those. Well, the art of innovation is creative problem solving. And the way to build that is by doing challenging math problems, really, when you're a kid. We hope you enjoyed this mastermind session. If you'd like to contact Peter Pham or Phoenix Capital, please email info at phx-cap.com.